You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We are in our series we started last week. Um, talking about a weary world rejoices. And I have to apologize first, because one, I love Christmas. Um, and last week or two weeks ago, I talked about the people who decorate before Thanksgiving, how they're in sin and all this. No, I was playing. Um, uh, listening to Christmas music. And I also realized that as we decorate, I'm like, why didn't we do this earlier? Because we could actually enjoy it because it takes so long. And so I think I'm in the camp every year that I'm like, we should maybe do it before Thanksgiving. So um, pray for me. I'm working on it, but not Christmas music yet. Only if you are decorating. But, uh, but I, I do. I love Christmas. Um, I remember as a kid, I mean, gosh, some of my favorite memories growing up is, is around the holidays, around Christmas time. It's like there, there's so much excitement and anticipation for it. Uh, part of it is the presence, of course, let's be honest. Uh, part of it as a kid, you're out of school. For parents, maybe not the, the, the positive side. Maybe you're like, we can't wait for school to go back in. Um, it's seeing family. It's seeing friends. It's, it's all of the stuff um, that are happening. I remember uh, one of my kids, uh, you know, we sometimes fail to plan. And so 1 a.m., we're still wrapping presents, putting toys together. Anyone know the struggle? Okay, I'm by myself. Okay, thank you. Um, and my son, who loves to wake up early, came down like, it's like 2.30 in the morning. He's like, hey, we're ready for Christmas. I'm like, no, you're not. Go back to sleep. And then like 30 minutes later, comes back down. He's like, it's Christmas. I'm like, Christmas is not starting until past 6 a.m. So like all morning long, he keeps coming down. There's this like excitement. You can't, you can't help it. There's this anticipation. There's this, there's this buildup. And, and yes, there's stuff that happens. But at the, at the core of it, it's the message of Christmas. It's the anticipation of hope. Right? That, that's, that's this underwhelming like, current and all of it. All of it. It's the, the story of humanity. It's the moment we talked about last week when, when sin entered the world in Genesis 3. Right? God had a plan. And all along the way, through the prophets, through, through everyone, there's this pointing forward to this hope that's going to come in the person of Jesus. Right? This, this whole story, this whole... Uh, history of humanity has hope woven through it. And that's what we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate the, the, his kingdom coming. And, and along the way, we have these bright beacons of light that, that just jump out at us, these, these beacons of hope. And one of them, we, we're going to talk through this whole series, Isaiah 9. It says this in verse 6. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So in Isaiah, which remember, we've got to remember this 700 years before Jesus, is saying, hey, one day the Savior is going to come, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we, we see this, and then last week we even talked about the, the 400 years of silence. And so I, I, the Lord speaks through Isaiah, 300 years, and then 400 years of silence, and then Jesus, and 
you see it in, I mean, you see it everywhere. You see it in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, but I, I love this as we uh, hone in on the, the mighty God aspect today. Isaiah 11 gives us a, a greater glimpse of this, starting in verse 1. It says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. I mean, if that doesn't sound pretty mighty, I don't know what does, right? One sound of his voice, of his word, will shake the earth. Like we see this description of, of how like mighty he is, like this, this stage is set, this, this coming. And it's, it's like this, uh, it's like every great moment in a good movie, like the action movie when like, like the hero appears or the, the twists in the plot, like uh, Matrix fans, right? The, the moment when like Neo realized he could fight, you're like, what? Or anyone Lord of the Rings fans? Oh, you guys, need a, you guys need to watch some Lord of the Rings, right? The, the moment when, in the third one, when, when Gandalf is coming over the hill and the, the, the army is behind him, it's just like, you just want to stand up and cheer or Braveheart or, or Gladiator, like you fill in the blank, right? Whatever the movie is, the, this moment when like, it seems hopeless and then this hope enters the scene and totally just wrecks everything and turns everything up on its end. Like, this is what it's talking about. There's darkness, there's depravity, there's, there's hopelessness, but there's a day coming when the mighty God will walk on earth. It will no longer just be this coming hope, it will be the present hope, the promised hope in the Messiah. So here's what hope does for us, hope, uh, produces anticipation, but it also produces expectations in us. Um, I, I love to eat. It's, it's, no, it's no joke. Uh, I, loved, I love food, okay? Um, and uh, if you ever go to a restaurant, you know, when they are bringing out the bread or somebody orders an appetizer, um, skinny people don't understand this struggle, whatever. So we love you too. But um, if, you're, if you're like me, is immediately you see the server coming strategically, what do you do? You make room in front of you, right? Because you know where the appetizer wants to land. You're like, oh, look, here's a spot on the table. You've moved kids aside and drinks, and it's like this perfect moment. It's like, oh, look, here, set it here. Is anyone, am I the only person? Okay, thank you. Some honest people in church today. You're like, conveniently, but it's, it's this anticipation. And then sometimes they'll just set it somewhere else. You're like, I made an opening bring me my cheese sticks now, or whatever, nachos, whatever. Um, but anticipation is, is, is good because we're, we're, we're looking forward to something coming, but it also brings with it some expectations. We, we expect things to happen in a certain way. And, and the rub becomes when our expectations are not met. 
And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's no common thing, but the, the, the reality is all of us want the Lord to work through us. All of us want God to do miraculous things in the lives of the people that we love, in us and through us. Like all of us want to, to look back and say, man, God used me in just ways that I could never take credit for. And mirac- like people received Jesus, there, were, there was healing. Like all of us, all of us would, would like to say that. But very rarely does it happen the way that we would expect. Very rarely is it, is it the way that we would anticipate because God starts like messing with our Kool-Aid and doing things in a different way than we would want. And we're like, uh-uh, Lord, I had it planned. Did you not see my spreadsheet? I had my life planned out. We're in column A still, God, and you're, you're talking about C. Maybe we need to have a conference, you know? Maybe we have a Zoom meeting here to get everyone back on the same page. Like, we, we come up with our own expectations of how God should work. But God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't have to meet our expectations. The, the story of hope is this anticipation of it coming. But think about it. You ever been disappointed after Christmas? Right? Whether it, like, things totally didn't go the way that you had planned, uh, where just whatever happened, fam- the wrong family came into town, or, or maybe everything actually happened the way that you hoped it would, and you were still disappointed, right? Like kids were getting along. They were, you know, carefully unwrapping the paper and folding it and say, hey, mom and dad, we should save this for next year so you guys don't have to waste paper. You know, let's, let's do that. They're just, you know, hanging out. No one's arguing or fighting over toys. They're sharing. Oh, you want my brand new toy? Yeah, sure, you have it. You know, like maybe your family operates like that. But still afterwards, you're like, there's, there's, we feel like there's something missing. It's because a, a celebration is never meant to satisfy. God is the only one who can satisfy our deepest desires. And so that longing of like, we feel like something is still missing is, is like just confirmation that we're, we're not made for this earth. So we have this anticipation. We have this hope. And think about it. The people of God, they, they knew of the Messiah coming. They had all of the anticipation. But think about it. The religious people, Jesus was in the flesh, but they couldn't even receive him because of their expectations. They had expected him to come in, in, in authority and in power and probably in robes and, and in royalty. Like they, they expected one thing, but Jesus turned everything upside down. No, 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 no. The savior of the world should be hanging out with the, with the church folk, right? Not with the sinners, not with the tax collectors, not with the broken people. He shouldn't be associating with, with the lepers or, or the people who needed healing. He, he, should, he should be meeting these expectations of, we want, of what we want Jesus to do, the Messiah to do. God doesn't owe it to us to meet our expectations. Our responsibility is to hold tightly with anticipation, but hold loosely to our own expectations. So what do we, what do, we do in the middle when it doesn't make sense? Because that's, that's where we get to. When, when God says he's going to do something, we, we know that God's at work, and he doesn't do it like we think he would, and we're left kind of confused. We're left like, how, how is this going to make sense? 
I know that you can heal all things, and I know that you, you want to restore relationships, but God, all around me, all I see is brokenness. This doesn't make sense. God, I, I know that, that you've, like, you bring hope, but all around me, it just seems dark and depressing. God, it doesn't make sense. What, what do you do when the storyline doesn't seem to be making sense? Well, enters the, the Christmas story, right? Luke 1, if you have your Bible with you, uh, we're going to look at Mary's account in the beginning of the story of Jesus coming into the world. We're going to start in chapter 1 of Luke in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Remember, Gabriel had just visited Zechariah and talked about the John the Baptist, how he's going to be born. And now Gabriel is now appearing to Mary. Uh, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. It seems like if, you're, if you have a kid, right, if they ever come to you, it's like, highly favored father. You're immediately like, what do you want? How much is it going to cost me, right? It seems like there's this buttering up that's happening, but it's, it's not the case. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Now, that doesn't make sense, if you're being honest. Doesn't make sense at all. We have to remember, Mary at this moment is somewhere between 12 and 16 years old. I know that just destroys your nativity scene at home. I get it. But more than likely, she was between 12 and 16. Marriage in the like, Jewish culture at this time was, was three different phrases. Uh, there was the engagement, which was an, an agreement, an arrangement between the parents, especially the fathers. Uh, there was the betrothal, which was like a, a formal ceremony that took place. And then the marriage actually happened about a year later. The bridegroom would come at an unexpected time, and, and that's when the marriage would happen. So she's in between these phases. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. She's never been with Joseph. And Gabriel just comes up and says, hey, I know you have your plans, but God has other ones. She already said yes to the dress. She like had everything planned out. And God shows up and says, hey, here's what's going to happen. She's like, my God, I don't know if you understand how this works or not, but uh, we're not married yet. And now she's like, he's like, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Imagine communicating that to Joseph. I'm pregnant, but don't worry. It's the Holy Spirit's, okay? It's gonna be fine. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't 
make sense at all. We, we talked last week about how sometimes the hardest times is in the, in the silence and in the isolation, but so often some of our hardest times to cling on to hope is when it just doesn't make sense. Is when what is unfolding goes against what we had planned or goes against what we thought God was going to do. I mean, Mary's response in verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. There's verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. How do we hold on to hope when it doesn't make sense? One, we have to remember this, is that we don't find our hope in our ability to understand. For me, this is super convicting. I am a researcher. Like if I make a purchase, I want to know all my options, right? I want, to, I want to Google review all of it. I want to see what every variable is. If I'm planning something, I want to look at all the different ways to do it. Sometimes it takes a lot of extra work. But I, I am the, I'm the, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's, let's, let's get some graph paper because that looks smart anyways. And let's, let's figure this whole thing out. I want to know the details. I want to know how it's going to play out. I know what it's going to cost, how bad it's going to hurt. I want to know all of it. And so often we can try to box God into our understanding. And if it doesn't fit our understanding, we don't want to obey. We don't want to trust. We don't want to believe that he's actually doing something. Mary's, Mary's confidence wasn't in the fact that even her, her, her relative Elizabeth was pregnant. Her confidence was, God, you spoke it. I'm going to believe it. You said it, and I'm going to wholeheartedly follow you. Um, like our, our security, our safety, our longevity, our, our effectiveness in life is not based on how much we can understand what God is doing, but it's our wholehearted obedience. Like, think about it. Like, almost every single miracle that Jesus did involved some aspect of faith on other people's parts, right? The feeding of the multitude required them to sit in groups of 50. The, the water and the wine, they had to go fill up the jars of water. Hey, go and wash. Go and show yourself to the priest. Hey, stand up and walk. There, there's an element of faith of all of it. It doesn't make sense. Oh, he's been crippled his whole life, and now you're telling him to stand up? That doesn't make sense. But if we're limited by what doesn't make sense, then we're never going to experience God doing the miraculous, are we? Right? Think about it. Well, I've never been able to stand up before. You're right, because you've never been healed before. Hey, that's, that's a, only a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. It's never been done before. You're right, it's never been done before. It's in the opportunities when it doesn't make sense, but we trust God anyways, that guess what? He gets all the glory. Because you couldn't be like, hey, you know what? I figured it out. I'm really, really smart. No, God's smart. A lot smarter than us. Thanks, God. Second thing, or third thing, I don't even know what number on. Next one. Uh, we don't find hope in our strength, but through our humility. The same way that we don't trust our ability, we don't trust our strength, our knowledge. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Um, God does not share his glory. 
And sometimes the things that actually stop us from experiencing the hope, from, from experiencing God working through us is us, is our pride, is that we, we want to be in control. We want to be the center of it all. We want to be the one steering the ship, navigating all of it. God's word is very clear on how he approaches the proud and how he approaches the humble. Humility looks good on everyone. You know that? Like there's not a single person that humility doesn't look good on. God lifts up the humble but opposes the proud. And Mary's, her, her, her demeanor wasn't like, I'm, I'm, hey, highly favored. She's like, yep, that's right, that's me. No, she's confused and, and she's like, what, what, what do you mean by this? She's, she's humble, she's a, she's a servant. She's submitting to God's ways. The birth of Jesus, it, it broke up every social, political norm there was. It turned everything on its head. Um, so here's what we do. We remember that um, when we don't understand, how do we, how do we hold on to hope? There's three things that we have to remember. One is that sometimes the Lord, um, he's preparing us for something. Sometimes in, it, sometimes in it, he's preparing us for things. If you've ever seen um, or heard uh, lobster, how they grow, uh, what's interesting is, first off, I'll eat lobster, but like shrimp and crabs and all that, they're just gross. Um, God bless you if you love them. I know I offended half the room. But like, if you've ever uh, broke one open before you cook it, yeah. You ever, if you've never broken it open, you would be making the same face I just did. It just, it looks... Looks like a giant, like, booger. I don't know how else to say it more eloquently. It's just like, ooh. Um, but but a, a lobster, it's got this hard shell, of course. On the inside, it's just this kind of gooey, mushy mess. Um, and for a lobster to grow, it actually has to get uncomfortable. This, what happens is, is a, a lobster begins to outgrow its shell. It gets uncomfortable. It goes and it hides. It buries itself under a rock and it sheds its shell and it regrows a new one that's bigger. So the stimulus for a lobster to grow is it first became uncomfortable. Think about that. We get uncomfortable and we're like, Lord, you need to fix it. We need it out of it. This must, must not be where I'm at. But oftentimes the stimulus for us to grow is being uncomfortable. Because when it's uncomfortable and when it doesn't make sense, but you know what, God, my feet are planted. I'm going to trust you to provide. You know what that does? It gives us grit. It gives us something firmer to hold on to. That it's not just in my ability to figure it out how smart I am or, or my strength, but you know what, God, I'm trusting that you are doing something in this, that you are preparing me for something. The second thing that he does with a reminder that sometimes he's pruning us for something. Pruning, like if you have a word for the year, no one wants pruning. That sounds painful, let's be honest, right? Pruning, it logically doesn't make sense because you have a tree, let's say an apple tree, uh, and it grows apples. Cutting off branches means less apples, right? Like that's logically what it makes sense. But pruning actually produces more fruit. You, you prune back the branches that you want to produce more and it produces more buds and will grow more fruit. You also prune off the, the branches that are 
diseased or decaying because you, you want to cut those off because they can infect the rest of the tree. Pruning in our life is never fun. It can be painful. It can be hard. But the fact that God prunes us is proof and evidence of his love. You ever discipline your child and say, I'm doing this because I love you? And they're like, no, you don't. Or even as a, as a kid, you said that to your parents, you're like, you're spanking me because you love me? How does that work? Right? But you do it because you see character flaws and you're like, I don't, want, I don't want that to take root. I want you to understand that I care more about your character than I do your comfort. And so I'm going to discipline you to try to remove that from your life. God prunes us because he loves us. And as painful as it is in the moment, it produces something greater in us and through us. And lastly, is that he's providing something through you. You ever stop to think that maybe sometimes the hardest things that you walk through, what if they actually had nothing to do with you and everything to do with someone else finding hope in it? Yes, Mary, Mary, Mary's a part of this story, but Mary's hardship and, and Mary trusting the Lord in this was a part of bringing salvation to all of humanity for, for Jesus to, to come and to, to live on earth and to live a perfect life and to surrender his life on the cross for you and I so we can have salvation. Like, what if the moments in which it doesn't make sense, but yet you still cling to hope is just an opportunity, a soapbox for you to stand on for other people to see the work of God in you? What if we just trust that he's doing something through us? Okay, God, I'm gonna trust because there, there's, there may be people in my family or people at my, at my job that don't know you, Jesus, and if I walk through this well, not trying to figure, like, think I have it all figured out, we're trying to be fake, but just be real. Hey, it hurts, but I'm trusting God. And on the other side of it, it gives you a platform for other people to see the work of Jesus in you. And here's my favorite part of this. Lastly, is that a heart surrendered to the process produces praise. What I love is that we've, we've got this teenage girl who hears the most crazy thing that's ever happened to her, right? Say, hey, you're, you're going to, you're going to give birth to the savior of the world. You're scared, you're, you feel alone. And, and in the middle of it, she, she hears the promise. She says yes to this process of, of trusting God. And before it actually happens, before Jesus grows in her womb, before he's born, before the wise men come and worship him, before she sees him nailed to a cross, not in the fulfillment of the promise, but in the middle when it doesn't make sense, we have these words from Mary. Mary's song of praise. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Not 
how my spirit rejoices in my circumstances, in my ability to figure it out. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months then went back to her own hometown. It's not a heart that experiences good circumstances that produces praise. But in the middle of uncertainty, the only way to truly worship is to be submitted to the authority of God. Think about this. If you put your faith in Jesus one day when you get to heaven, we're going to worship, right? Like the angels right now are worshiping 24-7 for all of eternity. Holy, 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 right? You almost don't even get a choice in heaven. Like it's, it's just an immediate response. We're in the presence of Almighty God. Everyone's worshiping. But it's only why we are in this limited thing called life on earth that we get to truly choose to worship and to where worship can be a sacrifice. Because in the middle of the moment, it's not just like everything's going to be fine. In the middle of the moment, she's still scared. She's still uncertain. It still doesn't make sense, but yet she chooses to give a sacrifice of praise. She chooses to say, you know what? I'm going to lift my eyes where my help comes from. And I'm going to worship the Lord. So today we're going to end a little bit differently. We're going to, we're going to stand and worship in just a moment. But um, my question is, where, where are you today? Where, where are you today in, in this journey of hope, in this journey of following the Lord? And maybe the decision today is to say, I'm, I'm not going to continue trying to figure it out before I say yes. But God, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to trust where you're leading me. I'm going to trust that you're working all things. So I'm going to pray for us. King Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for who you are. Today as a people, whether we are on the mountaintop seeing hope fulfilled or whether we are in the valley clinging desperately onto the promises and the hope of God, where it doesn't make sense, where it seems silent, where, where you appear to be quiet, God. God, I pray that as we lift our voices, as we sing, as we worship, God, that we would be reminded that you have never left us or never forsaken us. 
God, that our hope is not in the circumstances playing out like we want them to or think they should. Our hope is found in you, that you are in control, that you are working all things. So God, give us that assurance. Give us the confidence, Lord, to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. So today, God, as we lift our voices, as we worship, whether we quote-unquote feel it or not, sometimes we have to declare things over our life before our heart can even believe them. Let this be that, God, to trust you in the waiting, that you're working all things for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.